welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are now known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm your host, Marshall. And I'm Victor Valentine, today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. First, Mark Dunley was at the New York State Legislation hearing on the proposed bottle bill. Then, Elizabeth E.P. Press talks with Libby Post about the upcoming local elections. Later on, Andrea Cunliffe talks to Troy Savings Bank Music Hall about their upcoming celebration of 50 years of hip-hop. After that, Brad Monkel brings us another comedian into the studio live. Finally, Tom Francis welcomes Bertha Rogers on the Talking with Poets segment. But first, here are the headlines. Starting off, the Times Union reports that relatives of Samantha Humphrey, the 14-year-old girl whose body was found in the Mohawk River after going missing last November, are raising funds to pay for billboards and a $10,000 reward aimed at convincing someone to come forward with info about the girl's death. The Times Union reports that a group of at least 20 asylum seekers staying at a Super 8 motel in Rotterdam protested outside the building Monday evening over their mounting frustrations with their treatment, including by DocGo, the firm hired by New York City to provide services the immigrants said they are frustrated with delays in processing their immigration paperwork and described poor conditions at the motel, including bed bugs, a lack of heating, water, or medical assistance. Groundbreaking for Flanagan Square, a $65 million mixed-use development on the River Street in downtown Troy recently took place. With a $10 $10 million state grant, the project by First Columbia spans three buildings and will include more than 200 units of housing, including low-income and senior housing, an affordable grocery store, and 40,000 square feet of commercial space. The city of Troy is seeking input from the public about priorities for pedestrian infrastructure improvement projects, such as sidewalks and curb ramps on city-owned and maintained streets. The survey is online and at the Troy Public Library. Children from low-income families and families of color are exposed to more neurotoxic chemicals and experience greater harm from them. A newly released review of more than 200 studies has concluded. The study looked at a range of harmful chemicals, including lead, particular matter, pesticides, and phthates, or substances added to plastics to make them more flexible. Those chemicals can affect brain development and cause developmental delays in children, problems that researchers wrote can be exacerbated by such factors as poverty and racism. racism. That's it for the headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to Mohawk Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org. Email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org or call 518-272-2390.
Monday, October 22nd, the New York State Legislation held a hearing on expanding the bottle bill from $0.05 cents to $0.10 cents and including more beverage containers. Mark Dunley was there. Mark talked with Rhonda Kaiser of the Brooklyn Solid Waste Advisory Board, Alexis Goldsmith of Beyond Plastics, Blair Horner of NYPIRG, and Kat Soporis of the New York State Association of Convenience Stores to get their stories. On Monday, October 22nd, the New York State Legislature held a hearing on legislative solutions to improve the state bottle bill, the state's most effective recycling program. The bottle bill with its five cent deposit was adopted in 1982, and the bottle beverage industry has changed much since then. We hear from Rhonda Kaiser of the Brooklyn Solid Waste Advisory Board, Alexis Goldsmith of Beyond Plastics, Blair Horner of Nyberg, and Kent Sapiris of the New York State Association of Convenience Stores. I'm Rhonda Kaiser. I'm chair of the Brooklyn Solid Waste Advisory Board, or SWAB. My testimony today is based on the four SWAB comments document for the New York State Draft Solid Waste Management Plan. This comments document was co-signed by 44 organizations across the state this past March and led by the SWABs of Manhattan. We also recognize that almost 50% of greenhouse gas emissions can be mitigated by zero-waste programs, that strong policies and goals like this are hollow without infrastructure. New York State's Returnable Container Act, commonly referred to as the Bottle Bill, has proven to provide measurably effective waste reduction infrastructure since its enactment in 1982. And now, after 41 years, it's time to update this legislation, and we strongly support the proposed amendment known as the Bigger Better Bottle Bill. Modernizing this legislation would yield remarkable results, from an impressive 85% reduction in litter to more high-value materials being recycled each year and a meaningful addition to the state's economy, a powerful reduction in carbon emissions, and significant savings in resources. The updated bottle bill would eliminate an estimated 20,000 of the 500,000 tons of waste that New York City exports yearly to Seneca Meadows landfill alone. Just one of the upstate landfills and incinerators that currently accepts New York City's waste and is bursting at the seams, Seneca Meadows is soon to become one of the tallest man-made structures in upstate New York, including more drink containers and increasing the deposit from five to 10 cents will build upon our most effective materials recovery infrastructure system. Assigning a value to these materials and making that value accessible to everyone provides a strong motivator to return these containers for the people who buy them and for the canners who clean our streets and waste streams and to provide their infrastructure at no cost to taxpayers. And finally, the swabs honor the memory of Ryan Thorson Carson, who worked passionately to advance the Bigger Better Bottle Bill. My name is Alexis Goldsmith, and I'm Director of Community Organizing for Beyond Plastics. New York has seen the benefits of the Bottle Bill over the past 40 years, a 70% decline in litter, waste diversion, and improved recycling of materials, and reduced greenhouse gas emissions. And these can be improved on by modernizing the law. We need to increase the refundable deposit to 10 cents. We need to put a deposit on non-carbonated beverages. The bill should be amended to include a provision requiring that 25% of beverage bottles with a deposit are refillable within a refill system by 2030. This target is in line with public commitments that Coca-Cola has already made to address its plastic footprint. Plastic bottles have had devastating impacts on ecosystems. One million PET plastic bottles are produced every minute. So over the course of my testimony, that's three million plastic bottles. 
They are not likely to ever be turned into new bottles because when plastic is recycled, its quality degrades and they're usually downcycled into products like fleece. Up to 34 billion one liter PET bottles enter the ocean every year. The world's largest beverage companies are also the world's largest plastic polluters. Single-use plastic bottles have an enormous impact on the climate and fence line communities, including here in New York, where we have 10 waste incinerators, which are a very large source of heavy metal and particulate matter emissions. Up until the 1970s, Coca-Cola worked with local bottlers to distribute soda in refillable glass bottles with a refundable deposit, resulting in a near 100% return rate and multiple refills. It's time to bring back refill in combination with deposits. Refill has enormous economic potential. The reverse logistics of getting back, washing, and redistributing bottles would create jobs and could even be incorporated into the existing system. Refillable glass provides the most environmental benefits and health protections. We also recommend a definition of recycling, which clearly prohibits highly polluting, expensive chemical recycling technologies from counting as real recycling. And finally, it's sad to see that redemption centers across the state are closing or at risk of closing because they can't afford to operate. Senator May and Assemblymember Glick are carrying a bill that would direct the DEC to distribute grant funds from unclaimed deposits to support redemption infrastructure. Priority funding should be given to redemption centers in low-income communities. My name is Blair Horner. I'm executive director of NYPERG, New York. New York State and the nation is facing serious crises. High on the list is the ongoing and worsening climate disaster resulting from the burning of fossil fuels and the growing difficulty in appropriately disposing of solid waste. These are two critical issues and they are interrelated. The issue today is focused on one sliver of a comprehensive response, the state's 40-year-old bottle deposit law. Our review of New York's plans for responding to the twin crises of climate and solid waste is the unifying theme that the state must develop a circular economy. And a circular economy is, depending on how you read it, is defined really on basically not creating lots of waste uh, and relying on recycling, uh, reuse, uh, composting, remanufacture of waste products. The Pottle Deposit Law is a good example of a program that is consistent with a circular economy. Of course, any 40-year-old program could use review and an upgrade. This hearing and offer important measures to make the program work better, most notably expand the number of beverage containers that are covered by the law. Covered beverage containers are far more likely than non-covered to be recycled. Get the grant program moving to bolster redemption centers and access to technologies. A more widespread use of technologies will also help boost compliance and efficiency. Update the handling fee to reflect, reflect inflation and based on the needs of entities complying with the program. Boost the deposit from a nickel to a dime. That move would generate as much as $200 million for the state, save municipalities at least $70 million, and help boost redemption rates closer to 85, as we heard earlier, or 90%. A comprehensive expansion and modernization of the bottle deposit law is a win-win-win. It helps deal with the climate crisis, helps deal with the solid waste crisis, and generates money for the state and local governments. NYPERG urges that you ensure that the bottle deposit law is modernized. My name is Kent Sopris. I'm president of the New York Association of Convenience Stores. And on behalf of NIACS uh, and its 7,500 neighborhood convenience stores and 127,000 employees across New York State, I thank you for the opportunity to participate in today's hearing to review ways the state can increase the effectiveness of the bottle bill and prevent the bottles from being sent to landfills. 
For 40 years, our members, considered dealers under state law, have paid deposits to distributors, collected them from customers, and paid refunds when bottles were returned. Over the last four decades that the law has been in effect, however, a growing number of convenience stores now sell sandwiches, pizza, and other prepared food under license from the State Department of Agriculture and Markets. When bottles are brought in for redemption, they are rarely washed out and contained in bags that are sticky and unsanitary. The last thing that convenience stores need are magnets for bacteria, insects, or mice in the same vicinity as a food prep counter. This situation worsens when third-party collectors fail to pick up empty bottles on, in a timely manner, leaving the back rooms full of uh, with weeks' worth of empties. In many instances, these bottles will just be thrown out um, by, by managers and staff, defeating the purpose of the program. Before the bottle bill is expanded to include new types of containers, the state must address the clear flaws in the program's infrastructure. I believe there are legislative solutions that can make the bottle bill stronger and more effective, changes that should be implemented before the state considers expanding the program. NIAX believes the state should invest in and prioritize redemption centers, which will create jobs and provide central locations for bottles to be returned. Without this investment, the bottle bill program will continue to be incomplete and burdensome for retailers and consumers. The current bottle bill does allow convenience stores to contract with redemption centers to accept bottles on their behalf. If the redemption center is within a half mile of the store and a half dozen other criteria are met, including prescriptive hours and signage requirements. While well-intentioned, this provision is never utilized by convenience stores and would make an already difficult process more confusing. We believe that by making it easier for retailers and redemption centers to work together, the bottle bill will be more successful. NIAX proposes language to be included in the bottle bill that would encourage consumers to bring bottles to redemption centers instead of convenience stores. If the convenience store is licensed by the Department of Ag and Markets, and the convenience store has a written agreement with a redemption center in the same county. The legislature should also consider funding the Beverage Container Assistance Program, which was created by the 2009 bottle bill. Chairwoman Glick and Senator May carry legislation that attempts to address this issue by including state assistance payments for up to 50% of for the costs of, of infrastructure. If the purpose of the bottle bill is truly to incentivize recycling, then the barriers to that goal should be removed. This is Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Senate Bill S-237B is currently in the Senate Committee. Keep listening to hear updates on the bottle bill. Our Election Watch 2023 profiles candidates running for office. In this segment, Libby Post joins Elizabeth E.P. Press to talk about the candidates she supports in the upcoming local elections from Troy to Saratoga Springs. More Today elect- we are talking to Libby Post, the co-founder of Capital Women and the managing partner for Progressive Elections, here to talk about local elections in the capital region and beyond. Libby, welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. What is Capital Women? Capital Women is a, a political action committee. It was founded right after Trump got elected. A woman named Catherine Allen, who died a few years ago, called a bunch of us together in her living room. And there was maybe 35 to 45 women in the living room saying, what are we going to do now? And we all decided that we would form Capital Women. Um, It's really become a PAC, a political action committee. That was my main focus in all of this, was to be able to raise money and help uh, local pro-choice pro-LGBT candidates, you know, it doesn't matter what level they start on. 
We also do judicial candidates and ask for their vision for the court because they're not allowed to talk about issues when you're running for judge because those issues might end up coming up in front of you. But you can talk about your vision for the court, your perspective on law and justice and those kinds of issues. Um, and so since we started um, officially in 2017, we've sunk over $110,000 into local races. And we've got a decent track record of backing winners. It's election season here. We at the Hudson Mohawk Magazine have been interviewing several candidates for both city council and Troy, mayor, uh, some races up in Schenectady and Saratoga County as well. But I'm curious, Libby, uh, what races are you most excited about? Well, we've endorsed 15 or so candidates. You know, some of the highlights of that are Nina Nickel who's running in uh, Troy for mayor, uh, Jamie Puccioni, who's running for re-election in Niskayuna as town supervisor. Uh, we gave to all three candidates who are running on the Democratic line for New York State Supreme Court in the third judicial district. We've given to uh, a host of other candidates who are running at the town level. 2023 is a local cycle. So it's Troy mayor, Troy city council, Saratoga mayor, um, and the Saratoga commissioners, because uh, of their form of government, which is one of the most antiquated forms of government in the, in the state, and also uh, pretty dysfunctional uh, because of the way it's set up. We've endorsed in Schenectady County legislature races, Michelle Osterlich, who's running for re-election for uh, the county ledge. So we look at candidates all over. People apply for our endorsement. We have a pretty rigorous endorsement uh, questionnaire and process, and then we make a decision. You did mention that it is a local cycle. Many people skip going to the polls in these off elections. What could you say why it is important to actually well, go vote? It's incredibly important to vote in all the elections, um, and especially in these off-cycle elections. Democrats in general, uh, don't get fired up about local elections, but then they get fired up when a Republican becomes a town supervisor, say, in Colony. Well, uh, two years ago, uh, Peter Crummy was elected after Paula Mahan, who was a Democrat, was town supervisor for quite a while, about 10 years. Um, and so then the Democrats stayed home and Peter Crummy got elected. Well, the only way to, to fight against that is to get up on election day or even early voting and go out and vote. Not that hard to do. It's your civic duty. Let me put it to you this way. If you don't do anything else, your civic duty is to vote. Vote in primaries, vote in general elections, vote in school board elections, but vote in library board elections if your library is a one of the two kinds of district libraries that you can have in the state of New York. And so um, what we are seeing on the national level with the dysfunction in the House, this notion of a new speaker, you know, from a political point of view, from a civil rights point of view, um, it's, it's all bad. And so this is the kind of headset we're dealing with in Washington, D.C. on the Republican side, and we have to make sure that we take back the House next year. There's just no two ways about it. And we widen the margin in the Senate. We reelect Biden and Harris. But it starts on the local level because somebody who's dog catcher one day can be the state senator the next day, can be in Congress the next week. And it's a real threat to our democracy 
where we have these people who don't think democracy is important. Thank you for going into some of that, Libby. Uh, I did want to like circle back a, li a little bit in terms of the impact of the issues that you care about and who gets elected on the local level. What are some of the threats on the local level if people that Capital Women support don't get elected? If Nina Nickel does not get elected in Troy, I know Carmela, I've known her for a very long time, but she is parroting a lot of the Trump rhetoric. We will see what happens there. And if she is elected, how she's going to deal with the asylum seeker issue. We saw already Peter Crummy. I mean, you have the dichotomy of Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan embracing asylum seekers, recognizing we have to do our part, versus Peter Crummy, who's a Republican and who's a Trumper, is party to the lawsuit against New York City. Now, I'm not saying New York City's done a great job because they haven't. And DACO is a travesty and a waste of taxpayer money that we all pay hard. But demonizing folks who are coming to the United States to get away from violence, to have a better life for their kids, is not the, the answer to this either. So my concern is when we have folks who parrot those kinds of policies that Trump talks about, they're a threat. They're going to, you know, they're not bringing their best people here. They're drug dealers and rapists and all the sort of things he said when he first ran for president. You will see that play out on a local level and how those people are treated and how they're dealt with. You all are supporting lots of elections throughout the area. If we bring it back to Rensselaer County, are there other races that you're paying attention to? Well, I'm paying attention to the Supreme Court races because Capital Women has endorsed all three. Um, there's Dan Lynch, Sherry Brooks Morton, and Rich Rivera. I'm working specifically with Dan Lynch, so I'm very, you know, focused on on that race. Supreme Court is an important court in the state. It is not the Supreme Court of New York. The Court of Appeals is. But you have criminal, civil, all kinds of things. When there are appeals from family court, they end up in Supreme Court. And then you have the appellate division of the Supreme Court, where when there are decisions on the Supreme Court, that people challenge, it goes to the appellate division, which is the in-between, between Supreme and the Court of Appeals. And a lot of folks who end up on Supreme Court end up in the, the appellate division. Beth Gary, as an example, is the head of the appellate division in this district, in the third district. She got elected almost 20 years ago to the Supreme Court, and she's an out lesbian. And now, that doesn't mean she's going to decide things and they're going to decide things every way that I would like them to, but there's this sense that somebody at least has an open mind. There's a number of people that go from the Supreme Court to the, to the appellate division, and that's really important. So who we put on the Supreme Court is really important. There's a, an interesting race going on at Saratoga Springs. There's Gordon Boyd, who's running for um, the supervisor there, and he's running on some real substantive issues and running against. There are two open seats. Uh, Matt Veach is the Republican, but Michelle Madigan, who used to be on the city council there, is also running as a quote-unquote Democrat, but she's really not. There's that race, but then there's Kristen Dart's race for public safety. She's running in, as a third-party candidate against Jim Montagnino, who's the Democrat, who has been shunned by all the Democratic elected officials on the city council, and also a guy named Tim Call, who's running on the Republican line, who was 
an FBI agent and part of a, a sting operation here that di didn't go very well. We actually Meanwhile, aired that documentary at the sanctuary that he was right, involved in, right. a witness, I believe. That's right. Jim Montagnino, when I, when I started working with all those candidates two years ago, I said to him, you're going to be dealing with a lot of different people. There's issues of race. And he said to me, well, I don't see color. And to which I said to him, that's very 1970s of you, but that doesn't work anymore. And he didn't listen. And we've seen what's happened. Could you unpack in a few sentences what happened with Montenegro in, in Saratoga? We had the folks from Black Lives Matters coming to city council meetings, uh, wanting to speak. They might have not behaved the way Jim thought that they should behave. And so he wanted to press charges against them for expressing their First Amendment rights of, of freedom of speech. And these were all people of color. And then you have going back before him, and the attorney general is now investigating this, and it, it hit the papers last week, and there was an editorial in the Times Union today about Robin Dalton and what she said in terms of arrest those F blah, blah, blah. Yeah, those. her text messages uh, were released. I mean, this is what we're dealing with in some of the caliber of politics that we're dealing with in Saratoga Springs. And Saratoga Springs is not just horse racing. It is a very diverse community with its own set of uh, unique problems. So there's a lot of things going on and people just can't sit this one out. And what does Kristen Dart bring that makes you confident that you can back her? Well, Kristen Dart, number one, is a woman of color and she has decades of experience in government and is the vice president for political affairs right now for Planned Parenthood Empire State Act. She's very involved in the pro-choice movement. She's been doing this work for a very long time. And she was the chair, co-chair of the committee that wrote the new standards for policing in Saratoga Springs. And she's on the police community review board. She understands Saratoga Springs. She grew up there and she understands that public safety is for everyone and that the public safety entities, EMS, police, and fire, have to treat everyone fairly. Well, Libby Post, we are out of time, but I appreciate you joining us today <laughs> on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you. More election coverage on our website, mediasanctuary.org. And for those just tuning in, I'm Marshall Hildreth. And I'm Victor Valentine. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOC LP, 105.3 FM, Troy, WOOG LP, 92.7 FM, Troy, WOOS LP, 98.9 FM, Schenectady, and WOOA LP, 106.9 FM, Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend or a friend of me. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. The Troy Savings Bank Music Hall celebrates 50 years of hip-hop in an event featuring performances highlighting its rich history with the classic tracks and original songs. A unique event is happening at the Troy Savings Bank Music Hall. I'm Andrea Cunliffe, and I'm speaking with Jessica Bowen, the Outreach and Educational Coordinator. I wouldn't necessarily connect rap and hip-hop with 
the Troy Music Hall. This is opening the hall up to something new, or have you done much of this before? No, we haven't. Um, we have not done this before um, in in any in in any way such as this for sure. So yeah, we are very much aware that we haven't had very much hip hop in the space, and we wanted to do sort of initial um, dive into this in a way that would be very community oriented. Hence the local collection of artists. But we also wanted to take the style and utilize the space in a way that would complement both hip hop and what it's like to experience hip hop in, in a music hall as opposed to a club. So we're we're really excited to be having this hip hop showcase as it definitely is something that we don't have a long standing history of presenting on our stage, something we're we're looking to do more of in the future. And we thought this is a, would be a great way to welcome it into our space. But we also wanted to take a second to think about how we could utilize the space in a way that would result in a unique experience for the performers and the audience alike. So we reached out to Victory Soul um, as this idea to kind of have this acoustic, so to speak, backing band as opposed to heavier backing track that can be more traditional for this style. We commissioned Victory Soul to back these MCs and these artists as they perform both the covers and the original tunes that they'll be performing throughout the night. We wanted to kind of have that sort of unique aspect more stripped down acoustic version of your favorite hip hop tracks as in we're not going to be utilizing the same you know traditionally electronic backing tracks instead you'll hear a, a live band doing it um so it'll play into to the acoustics in a little bit of a different way so we're super excited about it and we really wanted to to work with with artists who were local you know invite everybody in um for a celebration like this the sound must be quite different for them. And it must be a really interesting experience to be performing in that acoustically perfect building. It's a regal space. Yeah, we're we're really, really excited about it. And it's definitely a unique way to experience all of that. For anybody who's an artist or really just anybody who comes in, comes in and, and onto our stage and you can utter a few words or clap your hands. It's always a bit of like a moment where people are taken aback because it really can be so different from just your average experience. But really with many, many artists, whether they're within our local artist community or our national touring artists, tend to, you know, quickly develop a, a very unique relationship to the sound and use that opportunity to adapt and create what ends up being a very unique experience of, well, this is behaving a lot differently than a modern theater or the, the club I played in last week or something like that. So it definitely will be a unique experience because of that. In what way? I think it's a little different for everybody. So I think each musician will bring what they get out of the building into that performance. The one wonderful thing about live performances because we are so attuned to listening on headphones or some technological interpretation of the sounds, that when you're actually in the building or next to a musician or in the environment of music being played, you really feel the music, it becomes physical in your entirety. It's the environment. And that's a wonderful thing about Troy Music Hall. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. 
really nothing sounds like what it sounds like in the hall. It, what's so beautiful about the space is that you could play the same guitar or the same violin or the same trumpet that you've played for for 20 years, but then you play it in the space and it can sound totally different. It's such an exciting part of performing here. And that's why we want to welcome, you know, all these wonderful artists who are, you know, 10 or 15 minutes away from this space to get the opportunity to experience all of that and, and perform. Jessica, you're doing a lot using the Troy Music Hall as its own instrument. It's wonderful to see you experiment with it. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're doing a 50 years of hip hop celebration here at the hall at the end of the month on October 27th. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a celebration of the past 50 years in the world of hip hop. Uh, and it's going to feature all local artists that'll be playing um, some classic hits from over the past 50 years and some of their original music as well. The backing band for the night is going to be Victory Soul Orchestra to bring a live element of the music that's underneath the MCs that'll be rapping for the night. So Victory Soul is going to come in with their amazing core band and brass section to back all of these artists that are going to come in. They're going to be on stage all night and will feature several MCs throughout the night that will be performing, like I mentioned, some of these classics as well as some of their own original music. And those folks um, are JB, a.k.a. Dirty Moses, um, Ozzy, who also just performed on our Kaleidoscape uh, performance this past weekend, Katani, DJ Nate the Great, Shiloh the Messenger, and Mundy will be all of those artists who will be fronting those classic tunes um, that night. Is it going to be on the main stage? Yeah, so this will be on the main stage. And we, we took that into consideration when we were thinking about how something like this will fit in our hall. Of course, we don't have a lot of experience or a large history of this particular style being performed in our space. And that's why we worked with, with JB and Victory Soul Orchestra to provide, um, you know, that backing band element. We wanted to sort of take the, the hip hop style and, and sort of bring it into our building in a way that would complement both things, both the artist and the style itself. So that was the impetus behind the, the backing band as opposed to having a DJ come in and back the artists more traditionally. So that's going to make a big difference. You know, it'll definitely have that live acoustic feeling. When we were first discussing this, we were very inspired by many of the artists that will come into the uh, Tiny Desk series with NPR. And they'll often, you know, hip hop artists will come in and they'll have a full backing band behind them for those sets. And they're, they're so cool. So that was, you know, one, one sort of point of inspiration that was discussed as something that would work really well in our space for the style. Is it going to be difficult to get general public to come in? Classical music enthusiasts listen to something like rap or vice versa. How can we do that? That's a really great question. And I think it's one that as presenters were always thinking about and finding new ways to, to bring audiences in. And I think, you know, one thing that we're really trying to do is to reach out to our community. And, and a lot of the folks in the community really do have quite a varied musical taste. But we're also trying to reach out to new audiences. And a lot of the work that I do in community outreach and education, students, especially younger people that I work with, 
a lot of the music that they grew up with or are growing up with and a lot of what they're listening to on a daily basis. And we'd love to, to have them think of the hall as a place where they can come and see that. Whereas I, I don't know if that was a place in the past for those folks. So we're in some ways working on bringing new audiences in with this performance in that way and appealing to those folks who love this genre already, but may not have been to the hall. I think one really great thing about this particular performance is that live backing band element. It just brings a whole new level of dynamic play within the genre. It can be so cool to see a live band play some of these tracks that were built out in the studio with full horn section and a full string section and full band, but oftentimes aren't played live that way just because you can't bring a whole orchestra on tour all the time. <laughs> so, um, so this is a really unique experience in that way, in that a lot of those tracks that have those big orchestral parts and the horn parts built into them will actually be able to be played live on stage brass and wind instruments with the acoustic of the hall that I think a lot of our maybe more classical music uh, lovers at the hall are looking for when they come to a performance from us. So it's it's no doubt that it would be an adventurous uh, night for those folks, but I think in that way it would be something worth seeing. I really appreciate your time. Oh, of course. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been Andrea Cunliffe for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, speaking with Jessica Bowen of the Troy Savings Bank Music Hall. 50 Years of Hip Hop is at the Troy Savings Bank Music Hall on October 27th during Troy Night Out. More info on www.troymusichall.org. Now we turn to our weekly segment featuring a local stand-up comedian highlight. So let's welcome back producer Brad Munkel. Thank you so much, Marshall. Good to be here. Um, I'm this week. I brought in uh, Grady Dixon, the uh, manager and regular at the uh, Saratoga Comedy Works. Yes. Hello. How are? How is everyone? Doing great. Yes. Um, always look forward to the segment when we do it, and I appreciate you coming because, um, you know, you're one of my favorite people to get to see at the Comedy Works, like you oh, and Cody you, Montaine together. The, yeah. the, both of you, the sets never get old. I love seeing both of you there. Right. Because it's, you know, I'm glad I get to see you a lot. And the, the well, I think Cody's killer. sets get a little old, if, if we're going to be perfectly honest. <laughs> no. Hear that, Cody? <laughs> I expect a response. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, you're going to be at the Comedy Works this weekend, opening up for... Uh, Chris Higgins. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, you're uh, a regular that people should keep an eye out for you also uh used to do a podcast called flicks and the tunes that people yes. can check out if they want but uh you know you, you you've got an awesome resume that i i could you know talk about you uh you know you've gotten a chance to open up for some of my favorites personally like bobby kelly oh, yeah. and rich voss and jim florentine yep. but i know you also opened up for the late great gilbert Gottfried. yeah um, that was awesome yeah um and i mean just because we lost him so recently and he's such an icon so many people know that voice do you uh you know do you have any particular memories from that the time you got to open for him um that so I, out to you? I got to open for him a uh, a few different times we'd have him uh at at our club pretty regularly mm -hmm. like once a year i'd say and um the most memorable thing about gilbert 
is how unbelievably shy he is. Yeah. He is exactly the opposite of what you would think he is from on stage, off stage. Like, it's insane. He's very quiet. He still uses the voice, but in like almost like a, a sweet, very, uh, you know, uh, kind of monotone way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, he was just like kind of a just a gentle weird dude oh yeah you know um very quiet but uh, yeah yeah i mean he seems like a sweetheart but he says insane stuff or he exactly. you know he was known for saying such crazy right. things but it's it's not that surprising yeah. i mean he's um just seems like a, a silly silly little sweet old guy yeah yeah um, oh absolutely and i mean you've been there for a while and yeah. i love the comedy works because of the great acts that you you guys managed to pull that you yeah. bring up here from the city and it's really like an important part of the scene up here uh i frankly am not so familiar so i was wondering if you could kind of give me a little background in the history of the comedy works yeah you know yeah I mean? absolutely so uh my boss who owns the club shout out to tommy uh his dad opened it up in the um in the 80s in the early 80s right around when you know, the comedy boom was starting and a lot of clubs were opening up. And uh, so we got to, so we were pretty much open. We moved around a bunch around Albany in the capital region, you know, over the course of the past, you know, 30 years or so. Um, uh, but because of that, because we started so early in that kind of boom, the amount of insane insanely good comics before they were you know yeah. famous that w we were able to get there is insane you know like jerry seinfeld uh norm mcdonald a bunch of different um bunch of comics in fact if you go to our club you'll see we have a bunch of and you've seen this brad yeah. uh all the framed pictures of like the top 100 comedians from like the 2004 comedy central list and like half of them have uh, in the corner a little comedy works alum thing, you know, like, yeah. um, like we had people like I believe we had Ellen DeGeneres back in the day, oh, yeah. like oh, all all over the place, like every type of comic. So yeah. I love looking through like the photos and everything that yeah. on the walls, and um, I mean, like I said, it's, it's a beautiful room, but it's also got a lot of history, right? And uh, it's fun to work. And do you, do you have any particular feelings about like Saratoga crowds, or is it like noticeable like track season, to off season? Uh, um, yeah. So. Uh, we are in kind of an interesting area, and I think it's a great area for stand-up comedy um, in Saratoga Springs because there is such a wide group of different people in the area who will come to the clubs. Like, yeah. you got your you got your Republicans, you got your leftists, you've got your students, you got your you know kitchen staff, you know, getting out of work. Like, we get. So many different people of so many different ages there, and uh, which is a great way to you know test your comedy to see how it works in front of like a group of very different people. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one thing I was wondering about you, you know, bring your personality to the stage. I know you like you know like comic books and and movies, and right. uh, you know you you'll post like on Instagram about like going to Comic Con or whatever, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, do you ever like? Do you ever write material about 
comics or really like niche interests where you're like, I like I can tell that this audience relates to that sort of thing. Like you ever get in front right. of an audience and they're like, they're not going to be able to relate to this material. And then other audiences where you're like, I know this is going to work. With uh, yeah, I have written those ma that material. Unfortunately, being as big of a nerd as I am, <laughs> uh, uh, a lot of it will go over people's head. Like, uh, there was one bit that I wrote years ago that I still love that I've never been able to work, but it's basically just about how Little Orphan Annie is a cooler, tougher, tougher orphan than Bruce Wayne. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think people were getting it, you know? <laughs> I was like, come on, guys. Well, the funny problem was alone. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear you try I mean, it, but he's a billionaire with no parents who's all sad, you know? <laughs> and she's pretty positive, you know? Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's resilient. Yeah, I, yeah. I, see, I like that, but it's well, thank you. It's, it's, it's different. It, you picture different crowds. It's like, oh, you get some like yeah. fratty kind of guys walking around Saratoga right. who come in who might not have any part of that. But no, I'm yeah. sure you do some more some shows that are a little more off the beaten path. Yeah, and... yeah. I did. I did do a show in the bottom of a comic book store once that I worked at, and yeah, yeah that was where a lot of that material got used. You know, have. Have you like had any major issues with uh, crowds being like hostile before? Because I feel like if a fratty guy was there, I, I you know, you yeah. you're like a, a like a nice, soft spoken guy, but I feel like I right. can see you getting catty with someone who's. Uh, yeah, get... I can get a little cat. Well, the the issue is too is like I both have to deal with that as someone who's on stage. And then I have to deal with it when I'm off stage because chances are I'm going to have to go up and yeah. talk to him and play bouncer, which is ridiculous. If you guys could see me right now, I'm like, <laughs> I'm a very weak child. But um, yeah, no, we've had, uh, uh, I think any comedy club's going to have a lot of that stuff. Oh, yeah. But uh, especially during track season, you know, we get some some mouthy people. And does it sure. do you have any stories from when you were on stage that stand out in particular? Or? Um. Yeah, just uh, I was I was building up to a uh, closing joke, and um, somebody who had seen me before uh, shouted out the punchline. Rude. Before I got to it, and it was the end of my act, and I was basically just like. That's the show, guys. Uh, here's your next comic coming to the stage. And it kind of threw off the whole rest of the show, you know? Yeah, yeah. I definitely did not uh, handle that well. But that was, yeah, my first few years of doing comedy. Well, uh, we got to wrap it up quick. But again, uh, you're at you're opening for uh Chris Higgins. Chris Higgins this, this weekend. weekend. Yep, yeah. And uh, uh, check it out. Yeah. And uh, you can be caught at the Comedy Works regularly. So yeah, in Saratoga Springs. I appreciate you coming to rep the club here. You yeah. Know, and, and just talk about your work, you know? Yeah. Um, Marshall, is that all our time? I believe it is. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, Grady. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you, you guys for having me. All righty. So showcasing local comedians with support from Brad Monkell. Thank you, Brad, and thank you, Grady. Tom Francis welcomes Bertha Rogers, who was the feature poet at the Poets Speak Loud series at McGeary's in Albany, New York, on August 25th, 2013. Bertha Rogers' poems appear in journals and anthologies, and the collections Wild Again, Heart Turned Back, Even the Hemlock, The Fourth Beast, A House of Corners, Sleep Are You Awake, and What Want Brings, new and selected poems. 
Rogers co-founded the Bright Hill Press and Literary Center in 1992 with Ernest M. Fishman. A master teaching artist, she presents programs in schools, libraries, and other venues. Bertha Rogers has served as a judge for local, regional, and New York State NEA Poetry Out Loud contests and is a member of the selection committee for the New York Writers Hall of Fame. Her visual works have been shown in hundreds of juried and solo exhibits throughout the U.S. and Europe and are collected in the Harry Ransom Archive at the University of Texas. On Monday night, August 25, 2013, Bertha Rogers was the featured poet at Poets Speak Loud at McGeary's in Albany, New York. This one's called The Future. There was a great tree, gigantic old oak, across the lane's ditch just before a fence that outlined the bleak, snapping Turtle Creek. Darkness stirred there like a snake through green. We children invented futures in that marled palisade, adopted acorn babies, infants who did not cry, complain, whine, who required, who required no thrashings. In this present, this knot, lawns are unmowed, troughs rife with weeds and despond, dust blowing up leaves like accusers' voices. The oak, its pocketed offspring are gone, seeds flow downward, questions unanswered. poems about dogs um, and this is one of them it's called the old dog's lament I was barking all the time when I was a pup I couldn't get enough of the sound of my high vagabond voice the parallel report from the ridge scraped barn glaciated pond the turtle even the heron stopped to hear my song I was a blithe boy and those dogs spun out, and those days spun out unbroken. Then I met the yellow bitch with the feral smell, exhorting voice. She and I, we became one beast, our fur commingling on the hill, mouths eating wind, feet in tandem. Even after coming to see my sweet in that last place, splayed and spread where she found her end. I could hardly suss her fur there, dead, grayed among last summer's sere stems. Her smell still lay heavy on the, on the hay. I had jaw-dragged her after the tires bump and thud, listened as she whimpered her awful death, but I could not stop her going. No one has to tell me to cease my sorrowing. I carry her face behind my eyes, now and then lift my head at what I recollect. Her bark, joy-struck eyes, tail thrilling against our day's blue, blue skies. Another one, it's called um, Dog Girl Tells the Truth. Where I breathed every day but Saturday was deep in the riot cave behind the stove. I lay there, paws splayed toward escaping heat. Mother said no, but the family dogs barked and licked. 
Of course the games couldn't continue, though I tried to shift my shape, adapt my limbs to the floor. Father begged, then dragged me by my pelt, the chastened pet keening like wolves losing their young. I cried for fire, for tongues, for fur, my nailed toes a grating linoleum while they dressed me in red chiffon for the prom they'd planned. And this is a high school boyfriend, and um, some of you will recognize some of the terms, some of you aren't quite old enough to. <laughs> anyway, it's called rhomboid. Always in a hurry, that shape, its parallels boxed yet propelled, navigating an unresistant deep. The 59 Chevy, flamingo pink, sharply thin ship belonged to my boyfriend's father. And wasn't it unique? Bench seat angled back, just the right petting pitch, brazen windows cracked to let in Iowa's 30 below cold. We'd heard sad stories about other winter lovers who heater on forgot. The midnight road, frozen flat, north to south, silently aimed at Orion, his burning belt. Our farmhouse was axis bent like Dorothy's by a long ago cyclone, the lean-to kitchen precarious. Upstairs, our bedroom walls inclined to eaves, and the coal shed out back graded itself in slanted ranks. Was that where I learned momentum? I was startled once to see myself in a city window, head ahead of torso, diving into the noisy sidewalk. Was this the source of my rush to the end of things? That boy, sweetly flat-topped, old spice, pinned willing me to the herringbone upholstery, while I, craving his viceroy kisses, upleaned at him. Our breath flared like northern lights, on the audacious vehicle's windshield. But that boy wasn't enough. I was in a hurry, on course, requiring distance. He, no doubt a fine, upright citizen in some Midwestern town, seems to lean against the car's tropical sheen. He drags on his cigarette, stubs it out, and opening the sloped door, waves goodbye. Unlined eyes calm, eternally smiling. Yeah. And this one is in a memory of Governor Nelson Rockefeller. <laughs> and some of you might recall how he met his end. So, well, this is called Black Rock Forest, which is down by Cold Spring. The grasshoppers copulate, so intent that I could step on them. They could go back to soil like the politician who, while laboring happily over his mistress's blasé flesh, leaps from life, heart burnt like a jungle blossom. Among the rampant goldenrod, the yellow spider hangs herself, her web a ladder to death's order, mate long since dispatched. The forest is in love with repetition, Watchers in flowers, ready themselves for mornings, climb out of your bodies. Then, like eager grooms, they arise from their blossoms, part of the mountain's fruit, the feverish silence. 
and um, in the Catskills and anywhere along the highways, you see these, the turkey buzzards or the vultures, and um, they're, they're, I think they're really beautiful. And so I wrote this poem after seeing one one day when I was uh, driving along and was just sitting on a fence post for the longest time. And this has an epigraph uh, in parts of medieval England after a death the body was laid out with a plate of food on its chest. A local outcast, the sin eater, was paid to eat the food, the act symbolically granting absolution. Mm -hmm. And this still happens in parts of Appalachia today. Turkey buzzard. Unable to lie, the vulture points out truth. He descends to scavenge tread deaths, the fox's spoils. Discreet as an undertaker, he swallows all but the bones. After dining, he stands a moment, staring into the open, stiffens his wings around his torso like a penitent fixing a hair shirt, then maneuvers his earth-ugly bulk up away from his work. End feathers lifted, span eagle-wide. The sin-eater transmutes. He becomes the sky's most exalted fixture, an angel risen out of something's last long pain. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis. That was lovely. I love poetry. I actually write some. I promise I won't regale you with any of it, Marshall. <laughs> uh, so... That's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Marshall. And I'm Victor Valentine. Our engineer is Kaylin McPherson. We thank all of our volunteers who made today's episode possible. Segment producers Mark Dunley, Elizabeth E.P. Press, Andrea Cunliffe, Brad Munkel, Tom Francis, and your co-hosts Victor Valentine and myself, Marshall. This program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. We want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hudson Mohawk Mag or send us an email to HMM at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7, 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening, and thanks to our listeners for listening and supporting Grassroots Radio.